Welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. My name is John Vallis, and it's my pleasure to introduce to you today's guest, Paul Etoy. Paul has been a tech entrepreneur since the mid-90s and is currently the founder and CEO of Stackwork. In his, quote, spare time, Paul is also one of the driving forces behind the open source Bitcoin Lightning-powered chat app called Sphinx. As Paul puts it, Stackwork pays the bills, but Sphinx just needed to exist, so they decided to build it. Unlike most people, Paul's entry into Bitcoin was not out of an interest in the investment case or really anything to do with the base layer, as it's known. Instead, Paul was drawn in by his interest in the Lightning Network, a layer two solution devised to enhance Bitcoin's scalability. As you'll hear in this discussion, the Lightning Network greatly expands the utility of Bitcoin and in Paul's view will be the impetus for an explosion of innovation that will lead to Bitcoin's adoption by billions of people. Finally, if you'd like to make the shift to podcasting 2.0, you can actually stream sets to both Paul and I while listening to this episode, and you can do so using the Sphinx chat app available for download on the App Store and on desktop. Another great option for doing so is by using Breeze Wallet, which can be found in the App Store and on Google Play. Thanks in advance for the support and enjoy the show. Well, Paul, thank you very much for uh, joining me. I'm really excited to discuss uh, the work you and the team have been up to over the last uh, little while. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So for people that may not be familiar with you or the work that you've been doing, why don't we get this kicked off with an intro to yourself uh, and the work, and then we'll see where it goes. Sure. I'm Paul, and I run the team behind Sphinx Chat. A lot of people don't, uh, well, Sphinx Chat is a, I'll start with that, is a system that allows you to use the Lightning Network to communicate. And so you can do standard things like pay people, send tips, uh, listen to podcasts like this. Hopefully someone out there is actually listening to this podcast on Sphinx or Breeze or one of the other apps right now. Um, but you can uh, use the Lightning Network as a communication protocol. So payments... Um, is how it really started, but we are one of the teams out there who's trying to extend it to use this peer-to-peer encrypted network for other purposes. So that's the open source and free side of what I do. And then the thing that pays the bills is something called Stackwork, um, and stackwork.com is the site. And um, this is actually how I got into working in Bitcoin and Lightning, is that my previous company was getting quite a few um, support requests every day. So we had a consumer app. We're getting hundreds of images submitted to the app every day. And we're actually paying people down in South America to do the data entry behind uh, those support requests. And so we were paying people using PayPal to do it. And it was just a lot of overhead. It was a pain. We couldn't uh, operate in other countries because um, PayPal just wasn't supported in many of those countries. And so I read about Lightning um, and just had one of those, hey, I've got to try this uh, feelings. And so dropped everything, had some of our developers learn how to use it. And we built a support system on the Lightning Network that we called Stackwork. Uh, and so we since spun that out into its own company. And we've done millions of tasks through it and between three and 7,000 people a day log in and do tasks on that site. And now we have tasks from other companies who are feeding through it. And most of the people using it are using it to um, annotate images. So if you have a self-driving car company, you need millions of images with every stop sign labeled, every car labeled. And this system lets workers from around the world draw boxes on those images uh, on their mobile phone. 
And then they can withdraw the Satoshis that they earn for doing those tasks right to their Lightning wallet. And one of those wallets that we support, of course, is Sphinx. So the user can do work on their phone, earn sats, they see their balance at the top of the screen, they hit withdraw sats, and instantly they have custody of that Bitcoin in their Lightning wallet. So that's, that's the two halves of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm not familiar with the stack work uh, aspect of things. We're not too familiar. So is this just a way to basically take, you know, really kind of uh, labor intensive, you know, data entry type of work and distribute it wherever it's most cheaply done and be able to fund it with Bitcoin Lightning? I mean, that's the, the value prop of something that's like this. That's exactly it. It's work where most of this work is done right now in cube farms in India, um, Bangladesh, Pakistan, places where they call them business process outsourcers. And it's kind of a dark business, really. It's just people forced to sit at a computer for 10 hours a day or eight hours a day doing hundreds of tasks an hour. And so this is kind of the Bitcoin way of doing this. You have a company in the US, say it's a venture-backed startup that has a machine learning model where they need 10 million images to train it. There's nowhere in the US where you can afford to pay people to sit there and do that work. So the alternative has been, let's give that to a contract in say India, and we'll have a hundred people a day sitting at these computers, commuting to this place, sitting there, kind of under a watchful eye of a manager, making sure their stats are up and all that stuff. Um, so it introduces a lot of opportunity for kind of abuse to do that. Hey, I'm going to fire you unless you do this many tasks. And so the Bitcoin way is, okay, this is going to be a marketplace. We will post the tasks out there and say, this one is worth 20 sats. This is worth 50 sats. And then we can't force anyone to do anything. This is a total opt-in system. And we actually don't even know who the workers are when they sign up. They actually don't use um, their identity to sign up for the system because with Lightning, we don't need that. We don't ask what country they're in other than the fact that we can't do this in the US because um, if you're in the US, well, you have to be taxed accordingly. So as long as you're from outside the US, you can do these tasks and you withdraw the lightning and you have it. But uh, we as a company can't force you to do that. Um, and so it really is a choice to convert your free time into Bitcoin. And so people in the West or who have you have the on-ramp to Bitcoin as an option to go to Coinbase and buy some Bitcoin with your spare money. Um, but if you don't have that option, this is a, another way to get into Bitcoin. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I quote Elizabeth Stark a lot from Lightning Lab. She talks about a number of people go up instead of just the number go up. And mm -hmm. I think this is the best or one of the best ways to get it out there, is get Bitcoin out there is to allow people to earn it using their spare time. You don't have to speak English. You don't have to have a computer, just a cell phone. Right. That's, yeah. It's so exciting. And there's so many things I want to dive into, but just so I have a, a clear picture of what exactly is going on here. Does, mm -hmm. how are the, how is the quality of, of the work that these people do uh, assessed? Is it like a review model, like on Fiverr or something like that? Or how does that, how does the platform judge the quality of yep. the work done? That's that's where the coding really comes into play. So we have uh, our version of consensus. So if you give it to three people, the customer can decide at least two of the three people have to be either having an identical match to the answer, or if they're drawing a box, it has to be within 5% of each other. 
So that's the easiest way to verify that the work is being completed properly. And then we also have these jackpot jobs in the system as well. So occasionally there's a test job that's mixed in where we know the answer. And if the worker gets the question correct, they get a bonus of two times or three times the value of that particular job. So you have we're trying to gamify it. And as we get more coding space, we'll try to make this more fun because we think that the work can actually be um, almost like a form of entertainment. If you're going to play Candy Crush or something like that, why not just do some work and earn some fat? And so people make a meaningful amount of money. I mean, people are making between three and $8 an hour doing these tasks. And we limit it to two hours a day because we actually don't want someone sitting on their phone for 10 hours a day. And we would rather have, if you're say in the outskirts of Manila somewhere, um, this is at or above minimum wage um, for people earning even at the $3 level. And so it's really meant to supplement the income while they're there. So, um, and it's a perfect fit for places like El Salvador, you can imagine, uh, Costa Rica, we're going to be doing more outreach to those areas where um, using your Bitcoin is easier because that, that's been a big hurdle. So I have these sats now, what do I do with them? So that's mm -hmm. been a question that comes up a lot. And, and explain a bit more to me about the, what the actual work is. You said drawing a box. And so are we just talking about like super, anyone can do sort of like QC is yeah. not a huge issue? Yeah, the, we, we break complex work down into their simplest, most tasks. So the customer will ask us something that's fairly complicated. Hey, can you take every frame in this video and draw a box around all of the furniture that it room. So that might take someone quite a while to do all those steps. And that can, as you can imagine, can be mind numbing work. So what we do is we break the frames up and assign the frames to people, say three for you, five for you. And then that person would draw a box around the furniture on their particular frame. And then Literally you're done. And draw then you a box. Like the picture shows up on your screen, you draw a box and it, yeah. like, it gets the right dimensions. And then it's, that's it. That's it. And then that's used to train a computer um, vision model uh, to recognize the furniture more reliably. So it's this intersection of machine learning and Bitcoin and mobile computing that is pretty huge. Um, it's a little scary out there, too. If you think about it, you're, you have humans training images to train algorithms to automate this work. <laughs> it is definitely on the cutting edge of the future. And if, right. and if you get really kind of uh, meta about it, um, in a weird way, you know how Bitcoin, the base layer, incentivizes um, the mining rewards, right? So there's this, um, you know, issuance that incentivizes people. I've always thought of that as kind of funny because you have software that's almost like an autonomous being that is uh, throwing out incentives out there. And you have humans like you and I going out there and buying real stuff, renting real rooms, getting real electricity and doing things because the software tells us to. Yeah. And so maybe this is another layer where, um, you know, humans are getting these images and we're trying to train these algorithms to do things in a more automated way. And then some other human is halfway around the world and earning this Bitcoin um, to do that task. Yeah, we'll have to see where all this goes. But yeah, I mean, it kind of makes you makes you think of the uh, the notion that Bitcoin is a decentralized organism, you know, which is has been written about a bunch. And you know, it, I mean, it does seem that these worlds are converging, right? And as the incentives yeah. to each respective entity aligns and and fosters the development of the other, 
this mutually beneficial arrangement, this symbiosis is how nature works, right? So it's, it's fun to, to contemplate the parallels. Yeah. I, I mean, I personally love that. I think the article we're both thinking of is Brandon Quidham's uh, article about mycelium. And I feel like that is uh, something I think about a lot. Um, so yeah. And, and to bring it back to me, um, the theme between the two things that we do with this uh, Sphinx chat and the, and the podcast streaming and earning for creators um, the creator economy is obviously booming out there, but it's another version of earning. So you can earn by drawing boxes around images, or you can earn by creating great content. And then your audience, though, instead of being people who are subscribing on Spotify or through Apple Podcasts, you can literally have an audience around the world of a thousand people who found you somehow, and they're streaming Bitcoin to you in real time as they express appreciation for the content that you created. Mm -hmm. And that can be art, it can be music, it can be video. I mean, it's the whole stack. We have a roadmap inside of our team at Sphinx and we have one row is asynchronous. So it would be things like podcasts or audiobooks. And then we have um, synchronous. So that would be things like this, um, you know, a Zoom call or Clubhouse would be an example of synchronous audio. Mm -hmm. So we're starting with asynchronous audio, which is podcasts, but then you could see this moving into clubhouse. You could see it moving into, um, YouTube. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday that, um, one thing you could do over lightning would be, um, let's say that I have a, I want to replace the bulb for the headlight in my car. I could actually have a video chat through Sphinx and actually pay someone who is on the other end, who's a mechanic who say is too old to work in a shop anymore, but knows how to change a damn light bulb can earn sats for helping me in my driveway, save a ton of time and change that light bulb. Yeah. Like that's the world I would love to see. And, yeah. and if that mechanic is in Peru and I'm in Utah, that's even cooler. Right. And so you someone person a has value person b has needs i'm not caring about who you are what credit card you happen to have i'm not getting your email address from so going to spam you afterwards i'm not leaving this breadcrumb trail in the form of the payment rails or the email system um, we're just having a transaction around this exchange and if we can reduce the friction around those kind of units of human exchange Think about how many more people you could meet or interact with and how much more efficient you could go about your whole life if that were just sort of friction-free. Yeah, um, it's it's, right? it's, I mean, it's, it's like, crazy, you know? And I, I do actually want to kind of imagine where, where this may go because like when you, when you combine the medium of communication with the medium of payment, then, you know, you, you can accomplish so much stuff. But before we get too excited with that, and, and I want to, we're definitely going to come back to it, but... Uh, you know, for some people, and particularly that may be listening to this podcast, Bitcoin is digital gold. Like they're starting to understand yeah. that yeah. it's like it's it's money on the internet, or it's yeah. absolutely scarce. Like that narrative is starting to break through. But Lightning and and what you just described, most people have never heard of before. So I know this question could be a bit lengthy, but could you just? I'd love to know personally why you were drawn to this, you know, to Bitcoin, what it represents in the first place, and then uh, maybe articulate 
for people that are new to this, you know, what the Lightning Network enables in terms of all the stuff that you're working on with Sphinx, and then we can maybe geek out about the potential possibilities. Yeah, I, I started to talk about use cases so fast because this is what I work <laughs> on all day. But yeah, definitely. And and so I I feel like I I'm I came to Bitcoin through Lightning. So I'm a utilitarian type person. Um, I heard about Bitcoin, but it wasn't the right time for me to dive in and understand it way back when. Um, but then when I was looking for a solution for our last company and Lightning solves that problem for us and we could spin up a quick prototype and solve it. Um, that was just fixing a need. So I didn't start with, hey, learn Lightning, learn Bitcoin. What can I do with this? It was just, I need to solve a problem. The traditional rails do not solve this problem. So Lightning does. And that's how we ended up looking down now into Bitcoin. And, and I started to understand Bitcoin more. Because um, you could do a lot of things with Lightning or, or, or attributes of Lightning with, say, a big block layer one chain out there, right? So you can do tons of these transactions if you wanted to. And it was important for me to go through that whole process and understand uh, kind of like what we see Elon going through in public right now. I was obviously asking the same questions. Like, why don't you just stuff more in there? This seems silly. Right. Um, but you have to go through that process. You have to, I think it's better to ask those questions. And um, instead of saying someone, someone telling you, here's the answer to what you're searching for, it is better to actually go through it yourself when you kind of flip the page one at a time and really grok it. Uh, so, I mean, to me, Bitcoin makes, it is the soundest money we've ever had, right? It's, it is the store of value. And the merger between the two, I, I sometimes have felt like there's a disconnect between the lightning focused people like myself and the layer one people. I think of, um, you know, I, I follow someone like Peter McCormick or something who might say, why do I need this thing? I'm not gonna go out and buy coffee. And to me, the big disconnect is that you buy Bitcoin. The, the, the job that you're hiring Bitcoin for is, of course, the store of value. You're not attempting to spend it. Um, whereas with Lightning, it really is using it for whatever purpose you have. And so our purpose with Stackwork is earning, and it solves that problem incredibly well. So we're not trying to turn savers into spenders, right? Um, we really are trying to create earners who then in turn become spenders. And if they cannot spend everything, then they turn into savers. Now you have a layer one. If it, our ideal world is you work on stack work, you do a podcast through Sphinx, you collect a bunch of stats in your channel, you take it out of your lightning channel and put it into your Bitcoin wallet. And now you are a saver. So you went from earning down to um, preserving the asset and having wealth. Um, and I think that that's the pathway that we'll see tons of people following. Whereas the number of individuals who start off saying, hey, I'm looking for a place to stick my wealth is a huge importance. Obviously that's the start of everything and we, we have to have that. Um, but that's a smaller number of individuals that I think will come in to Bitcoin through this earning model first. Yeah. So th this is the billion people is the earning side of things. Whether that's a stack worker, it's a gamer, it's a creator, it's a shop in El Salvador. It's all about that on-ramp. I'm turning my good or service into Satoshi's on Lightning. I then I spend some of it, I save some of it. 
And then that savings model turns into a layer one holder. Yeah, I think that incredibly well put. And I think that's a great perspective to have. And, you know, and I agree that the, the things that Lightning facilitates is going to be so much more applicable to so many more use cases, to so many more people. Like that is how we onboard the next billion, the next two billion, whatever it, whatever it is, you know, because as you say, I mean, a lot of people don't have savings in the first place. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, you give them more opportunities and better opportunities to earn and they're, they're going to they're, they're gonna take that, you know. And even if you look at savings as a kind of an investing, like a lot of people don't consider themselves to be investors, particularly in new technologies that are poorly understood. So you, but you give them an opportunity. I mean, even me with, you know, streaming sats for podcasting, I mean, I, I think it's the coolest thing in the world and it's immaterial right now relative to, you know, my savings, but I can easily foresee. And I desire a situation in the future where all my income is derived in a, in a similar method, right. Where you can let go of, of, of the, the, you know, let's say the ad based model or whatever. And it's, it's all like, if someone's consuming your content and they value it, they pay for it and you get paid for it immediately. And when they stop valuing it or stop using it, then you stop getting paid for it. I mean, it just seems like a far fairer system and with, with the fric the, how the friction has been removed just increases the efficiency, you know, cause the other thing is people like Bitcoin is money, in my opinion, and it will be the base layer money for civilization. But there's an order of operations to what you prioritize when you're creating a new money right out of nothing. And lightning is just a means of amplifying Bitcoin's divisibility and its portability effectively and the cost of doing that. You know, so you, you have to get the absolute scarcity right first and you have to know how to preserve that. And that's what makes people say, oh, this is a savings te technology. No, no, no. It, it's a savings technology, yes, but it doesn't mean it's not those other things. It just means that one has to come before the other and one has to be preserved more carefully than the other. But this is what we're seeing now is Bitcoin flourishing into a money that has greater divisibility, greater portability, greater cost, you know, cost of transaction than or lesser cost of transaction than anything we've ever had. And look at the universe of possibilities that those attributes are opening up. That's, this is why I call, and you're saying exactly what I think it, but I call it physics. The layer one provides the physics that lets us build all of these things on top of it. So mechanical engineers, I mean, everyone who's building a skyscraper bridge, whatever you're doing, you, you abide by the same law of physics. And imagine if humans were able to change the, so the, the equation behind gravity or something like that, right? Or, or mass equals MT squared. I mean, those should not be things that you worry about as you build on top of the things that you're trying to accomplish in your life. So what we've all been fooled into doing is building on top of a fiat currency world. And we didn't know that the floor is being raised or lowered beneath our feet and no one's paying attention to that. So that's the red pill moment that we've all had is that saying, wait a minute, I'm spending my time on this earth trying to build something and you're changing the underlying rules of the game in a surreptitious way that most people don't notice. And that's the biggest aha moment here. And then we now have this layer one that provides this clock of truth in a way, right? That you can anchor to that. We all have agreed on that. This is consensus and this is what's true. I mean, that really is to me, this kind of virtual physics that we have. So now we have that Every day you want to wake up and go, holy crap, now I can build on this thing. I'm not going to build a channel on YouTube because 
not that I could, but like if I were good at that, <laughs> I, I could, you know, you have 300,000 followers on YouTube. Your entire back of your brain is going at any minute, this thing could go out of business. It could get shut down. Someone else thing, is deciding whatever. your your future, right? We all know that in this space, but I, I think that most people out there don't think about that way because they're not um, in that creator space. They're more consumers of it. Um, but I think what happened with Joe Rogan and Spotify, all this, and there's a million examples out there, parlor, everything that we've all seen has underscored this, this simple mission, the simple statement that's coming down the pipe saying you're not in control. You don't own your audience. So if you're going to build something, don't build on the physics of YouTube. That's at the whim of whoever happens to be in charge, right? Build it on something where you control the entire stack and everything resolves down to this layer one chain. That's where your channel lives. That's where your asset is. Um, no one can take that away from you. Um, and that's why I think we're all so hopeful about this. And this to me is what hyper Bitcoinization really is. It doesn't really matter to me if it's legal tender there. I think that's amazing. I, it doesn't matter to me if this bank adopts it or anything like that. It's just, are, are the rules of layer one and the consensus and the blocks coming out every 10 minutes-ish, is that happening? That's all I personally need to know. It's safe to build on top of that. I don't need someone else's validation of this. And that, to me, is why we're going to see um, really a parallel system built on top of Bitcoin layer one. Um, and what we're doing is just scratching the surface and it's just prototyping these things out there. Um, yeah. But I don't think we'll imagine what's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's such a critical point that that foundational base base layer that you can have faith in the in the assurances that it provides and and the the qualities of it that bestow sovereignty over someone's let's say savings that is actually being almost transmuted into sovereignty over other things sovereignty over speech sovereignty over creativity sovereignty over you know it, it's just it's going to bubble up into all these things and it's all predicated on that base layer offering that in the in the truest and most complete form that we've ever head, you know? And so I know a lot of people today that may be listening to this, you know, might say like, I don't say anything that I'd be censored for and kicked off YouTube. But I think, I think at least even if people that, that, that are of that way, they've probably seen examples of, of someone said the wrong thing, or you criticize the wrong person, or maybe even in a authoritarian regime where people can't even communicate what they believe to be the truth, or, or they can't express themselves the, the way they want to can see the value in owning the stack, like actually being in a situation where nobody can cut you off from communicating what you believe to be true or what you want to communicate, nor from uh, people expressing their gratitude in the form of sending value to you for the value that you've provided, right? Like, and that's such yep. a mind bender because it's not even, a, we never even had that option. And now it's here where, we, we can establish full sovereignty, not only just over our savings and our money, but over our ability to express ourselves. I mean, how huge is that? I know. And, and I think credit has to go to, I mean, for me at least, is hearing about this idea of this value transfer from Adam Curry and, and Dave 
Jones at the podcasting 2.0 group. And so um, I would have thought you have to, my default state would be, hey, you have to force people to pay. Like, you, you know, people are just not going to pay. And I mean, those guys have proven out that this um, voluntary model is actually preferred and you can reach higher heights and allow people to express themselves instead of saying, hey, you have to pay me five sats a minute. You say, hey, it's whatever you define the value. It's kind of this Zen letting go moment. It's very uh, hippy dippy maybe in a way, but it's like, I think it, it, it obviously works. I don't know if it works for every single case out there, mm-hmm. um, but I love that that's the starting point for uh, the streaming payments was this, not only a new method for streaming payments, but actually a new philosophy behind it, that you should be able to express yourself with your stats. So turn it up to, you know, 1442, set whatever number you want when you boost or you stream and you're expressing yourself with your return of value. It's almost like a signature that you're providing back to the person. Um, yeah. so anyway, I, and I love I think, it. I think we exist because Bitcoin in my opinion, is fostering a dramatic cultural shift. I mean, I'd love to hear from you how your perception has changed, if at all, since understanding and grokking Bitcoin. But it's certainly been my experience, both for myself and all the other people that I've spoken to, like you, behavior change is kind of like a hallmark of really understanding Bitcoin, because it is kind of a new lens on which to see and perceive the world. Because if you're looking at at value differently, if you're looking at savings differently, if you're looking at your future and the, the foundation of security that rep, that money represents differently, then you, you a different sort of worldview comes up. And in the case of you know streaming sats, for example, for a podcast, look, it's still early days and a lot of people are unwilling to let go of their sats because there's still so so much of an asymmetric upside to this becoming global money that you know they there's an opportunity cost to spending right now. But I do think we, it seems like we may be shifting from a mentality of get everything you can for free, right? Just kind of rent seek as much as possible versus Mm -hmm. if you are going to spend your time consuming something, then by default, it has value. There's almost like a moral imperative that's emerging about paying that value forward, reciprocating in gratitude, the value that you're receiving. I think think that's part of the culture that's bubbling up. Well, I think to that is when you're listening to a podcast or content that you appreciate and in the back of your head, there's like a metronome going off 20 sats, 20 sats, 20 sats. And I am making a decision by listening that I am transmitting that value. And if I appreciate it, I actually feel better. My experience is better by contributing. And so I feel like part of something. I feel like I'm doing my thing. I feel connected. I mean, maybe it's connectedness out there. Um, so I think the listening experience is better. So we're all better off. The person receiving is better off. I am better off by sending it. You'd think I'd be worse off because I have less on my side, but I'm, I'm making the statement that this is worth it to me. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that, that I think is a, is a shift that people are willing to incur the opportunity cost of, of spending sets, not just because in the moment it feels better, but I think also where we are in this whole thing that people want to see this movement and this technology move forward and be developed. And I think there's an element of like, 
well, you know, if I've got to spend some sats, spend and replace whatever it is to foster this and be a part of it, because I think it's so important that people have sovereignty over their communications and, and value transfer, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bite the bullet and I'll get on this bandwagon and do it because I want to see a world that operates like this, you know? Yeah. And we're talking about people in the, in kind of, I would call them more developed countries, but look at what strike does. Um, look at what last bit provides. We're testing that card out as well. Um, you can go from fiat to, and granted there's, you know, identity involved there. It's not uh, anonymous, but you have this ability to go from fiat straight into lightning and express yourself. So I think the, the hurdles for people taking, it will be very difficult. Okay. Pull out your hardware wallet, open a channel, wait for six confirmations, then start to stream sats. People have made it, thankfully those companies have made it so easy to go from fiat to lightning mm -hmm. that we uh, will hopefully see more and more of this happening. So the tech's going to happen. Um, my prediction will be that we'll have a bit of an explosion of companies that are seeing this example of, and this is why we set out with podcasts is because it is ripe for change. It had stagnated for so long. We were looking at it and then Adam was happening to be just going a deep dive into lightning at the same time. We both showed up on their Macedon group and we both went, whoa, we're both thinking the same thing. So that example will, will was a great one, but I think it'll come out to Substack newsletters. People will say, why am I giving X percent to this email blasting company? Who wants email anymore? So someone will do that on, on Lightning. Um, and someone will do YouTube. Someone will do OnlyFans. It, it'll be all these different things will happen. And uh, we just have to be ready for it, right? But that is my version of hyper-Bitcoinization. It's not that... You know, we're buying OPEC oil in it. It's like, okay, that'd be cool too. But it really is about um, building um, different parts of my life personally to be able to choose to go into this model. So whether it's buying food or um, if I want to pay for health advice, right? I mean, so those are all examples that I've thought about where I would much prefer that to take place in Lightning because I don't want the person to know my identity, right? And as soon as you pull your credit card or debit card out, you've revealed an entire, you know, gigs of personal data because someone is selling your transaction history to, um, uh, you know, to that whatever provider you signed up with. Yeah, you know, it... It would be poetic if that's how hyper-Bitcoinization happened, right? A real grassroots, like it, it, it bubbled up from just being a better solution than anything else. Not like hyper-Bitcoinization happens when the central banks adopt Bitcoin and it gets the stamp of approval of legal tender, but of all these billions of people all over the world simply using it because it provides better value and better capacity to earn and save than any other option. And enough people do that, it just becomes the default, you know? Yeah. We're going to have to find some things to disagree on, you know, I agree with 100%. <laughs> so, I mean, there's another example for um, that's I thought was further down the road if we're talking about these different stacks that are happening. So if you picture using Spotify for music, if you picture using YouTube for video, you have um, email with Gmail, let's say, right? 
and you're driving a Tesla car around them. So there's all these different companies that are technology providers and you're spreading your choices and your preferences and information about yourself. And you know, you're leaking that in the back of our heads. We all know that Google is scanning my Gmail and I'm making the trade-off saying, well, I got nothing to hide and I don't really care if they have access to all that. If they want to show me ads, they'll show me ads. Right. Um, but there's this new model that can happen where your home node, whether ideally it would be a lightning and a full node is running under your control, this whole be your own bank thing. What if you could, instead of giving your data to these various service providers, what if you could consolidate your data on an, a device that you own? So I think there's companies out there like, um, you know, all the node implementations. So Umbral, um, Raspberry Pi Blitz, Start9 Labs, some of those guys. Um, I know Start9 is, I think, thinking along these lines just from casual conversations, but what if you could have this be, be your own database and then you actually want this database to know more about you instead of me hiding stuff? I don't, I'm not gonna connect my Google Calendar to my car even though that would be kind of cool if it knew where I wanted to go. It's just something creepy. I just don't want that to happen. I'm not going to use an Alexa in my house. It's just not going to happen. But what if I had control over that algorithm myself and the more I fed it, the smarter it was about what it could recommend to me. Yeah. This is the whole movie thing of Jarvis, right? So I think that this is what Bitcoin and Lightning can do is flip the whole model around where instead of trading my personal information for free software service, I run my own software service, run my own data and have it work on my behalf. Um, that to me is, I think, going to happen. We're working on it and uh, we're in the very, very first stages of that. Yeah. But that's what I want. I want this thing to tell me, hey, you should live listen to John's podcast because he's got this episode and I want this agent out there combing content for me. Mm -hmm. And then I want it to propose it to me as I get in my car because it knows I'm not going to watch a video right now. So your app is telling you, hey, you're in the car, you're on your way to this meeting. Why don't you listen to this podcast that's relevant to this meeting coming up? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and you are in control of the dial right? You get to dictate what that is. And what if you did collect all your own browsing history and all that kind of stuff? And then you said, you know, you had another dial for saying like, um, you tender it to advertisers. You say, who wants to buy my relevant data? I'm into the XYZ. This is all the stuff. And today I want to see six ads. And this is what I'm selling the information for. If you want to serve them to me, you know, because we all still, I mean, maybe not all, but like, I still want ads because I am a consumer, right? I want things that are yeah. going to improve my life. I don't want to be like swamped with them. But if, if, if it can be really targeted, like, you know, something about boxing, let's say, like if a new boxing glove comes out and I'm in the market for one. And I'm so today I'm like, I'm going to share tender some of my information and the right advertiser gets it. And they're able to determine whether or not they're willing to pay my rate for my information predicated on how likely I am to convert to a sale. Like that would be really cool to, to be I'm in control my in that hand. way, right? I got it. <laughs> I, I'm dying to talk about this. So I started, my first job was in advertising. So I used to draw pictures for ad agencies. So what you're describing is um, 
it, it really is the dream of marketers to reach you. I, I wish I knew that John wanted boxing gloves because I would talk to him about boxing gloves and he'd probably want to hear about my boxing gloves. So we have um, these groups, tribes on Sphinx. So you can join tribes at tribes.sphinx.chat. Um, but we're about to launch another page called people.sphinx.chat. And so you can actually go and it's opt-in and you can post your contact information. And this is a key differentiation between the old world and the lightning world. The old world is, if I told you post your cell phone number and email address on a directory on the web, you would think I'm crazy. But with lightning, what you can do is say, hey, here's uh, a lightning address and there will be also just the ability to have burner lightning addresses as well so that you can obfuscate your identity a little more. But let's say that you have this pub key and you register with people.sphinx.chat and you have a minimum amount that people have to pay to even have their message show up in your inbox. So you could say, hey, I'm Paul or I'm John and you have to attach a thousand sats the first time you reach out to me. Otherwise, I will never see your message. So I don't actually need to hide my contact information. I'm actually advertising my contact information. If you're willing to attach this much value for me to see the subject line of your message, have at it. Send me those messages all day long. I've, I have marked it as a thousand sats. And so if I respond to you and I send it back, my wallet will return that stake to you. I'm not actually trying to take your money just to reach me. Uh, I'm just saying, hey, I have to use this as a filter or I'll get spammed. Mm -hmm. And so this is pretty similar. I think I used it for a little while for what earn.com was trying to do back in the day. I don't know if you remember that. And this also harkens back to Adam Back's hash cash function, right? Where you can't spam someone, you have to show proof of work. So this is sort of the um, descendant of that thought process. But to talk about what you were saying with advertising, what this really could be is if you could have a directory where you could go up there and I could search for Dergigi, right? I could search for Paul, I could search for John. And then you would be able to post. Uh, so it's almost like a LinkedIn. It's almost like a Twitter. You could post things up there if you want. It's kind of the birth of that type of social, personal social. Um, but you could also say, I want boxing gloves and you could put everything you have that you want about boxing gloves there. And you can say size, preference, brand, whatever it is. And then you could attach a price saying, if you have something to say about this, my spam filter is 50 sats, but I have a reward. If I get a great recommendation, you might offer a thousand sats if someone recommends the right thing. Mm -hmm. Or if the company itself comes to you with a deal they could say, hey, I don't have to advertise to 50 people. You're telling me that you want these boxing gloves? I'm going to give you 30% off because I would have spent that on advertising and marketing. And I know I have these on the shelf and I can actually talk to you about the gloves you want. So you could post, I'm thinking about getting into mountain biking. I want to take violin lessons again. Like I want to learn Spanish before I travel. So I could post all these things that I want and then people or bots could also say, hey, connecting you to these sources that are of value. But for you to hear from them, they'd have to pay to talk to you. It's, a, it's, it's really difficult to see the big picture here because it, it, it seems like this, these, this function that now exists has so many applications to change how so many different things are done. And again, predicated on the fact 
that you are in control of your data and you don't have to share data to interact economically, right? Which has always been a problem. Privacy in exchange has always been something very difficult to maintain. And now we have it, for, you know, in, you know, the, the, an unimaginably efficient and, uh, and like usable format. Um, it's, yep. it's, it's, it's crazy, but let's, I don't even know if we've really gotten into Sphinx yet, if we've kind of explained what, oh, Sphinx in, yeah. is, is what Sphinx is and what it does, but I think that's important. So, you know, you want to give the, the kind of the pitch about what Sphinx does, and then I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll find another tr track there. Yeah. So anyone who's familiar with uh, signal or, um, iMessage, WeChat, any of these messaging system, WhatsApp. So, um, what they have in common is that your content is encrypted using a private key on your device. So, and it's encrypted for the recipient. So in between those two devices, whatever you're sending is encrypted um, in a way that cannot be read or interpreted by us or anyone else in between those two devices. So that is, um, I think, European Parliament or something like that just launched some attack on encrypted communications. So um, yeah, the world is changing underneath us. So this is an encrypted system that's like those other systems. What's different about it is that it does not go through a central server. So if you send a WhatsApp message, it's going through Facebook servers. And um, if you need to be, so they know a lot of information about that message that's being sent, even if they don't know the content. So that's one difference. And the second difference is that uh, it's using the Lightning Network. So if I'm sending you the message hello to the network, it looks the same exact um, structure as of me sending you 10,000 sats. So the network um, and two parties can talk to each other and pay each other using the exact same protocol. That's a huge change. Mm -hmm. And so everything that we're doing is really based on payment and communication. It's interesting, kind of turns it on its head. But if talking is a subset of paying because everything that goes back and forth on the Lightning Network, the way we use it, requires value to be sent. So when I say hello to you, I have to send a few sats as a payload to get my message to you. And when you reply, you send that payload back to me. So we might be spending a millisat or something routing back and forth to each other, but we have this payload of three or four sats that guarantees that this message is making it through the network to each other. Right. Um, so that's a misconception about Sphinx sometimes is that um, there are other um, protocols out there that use lightning in a free way where you can exchange messages for free between nodes. And, and, um, that's just not the way we do it. We, we view the payment as a positive. It's not something you're trying to remove. You're actually, um, building a wall of protection around your communication. Uh, I do, I would rather pay a fraction of a sat to send you a message than deal with a bunch of spam. Right. And that's so really the choice. Sphinx as it stands right now, because we were talking a little bit about, you know, kind of what is coming up or what you guys are planning to implement. But right now it's primarily a chat app, right? Where mm -hmm. you can, uh, using Lightning, and then of course you can also play podcasts in the app and you determine how much you're going to be paying per minute of the podcast. And also you can do these cool little boosts where, you know, if there's a, a great little insight or something, you can press boost and a hundred sats goes to the, the uh, yep. podcast host or producer. 
Um, and then what, what other functions are currently accessible in Sphinx? You mentioned calls and video chats earlier. Yeah, so um, the Lightning Network is used. So first, the way I organize in my own, own head, because there's so much to think about is one is freedom of speech. I have the right to chat with you one-on-one -on -one in an encrypted way, and I can choose to, to do that with anybody in the world and I can't be stopped. So number two is freedom of assembly. So that's the tribes. Um, and if you go to tribes, you'll see it's kind of like Reddit or subreddits or any kind of topical thing like Discord. So you can go there and the administrator of the tribe, the person who creates it, can set all kinds of rules. Um, you can It requires 100 sats to join and five sats to post. Um, so as groups grow on the internet, you want more people involved in your tribe, but you're gonna get spammers and bots and bad behavior whenever you see a large group of people gathering on the internet. And so Sphinx tribes um, allow you to set a certain amount where you can read all day long, but if you wanna post and contribute to the discussion, the admin can say every post requires 10 sats. And so the admin has 12, 24 hours, whatever they set, where if they delete your message as spam, they keep the sats that you staked with your post. So when you're having that conversation, when you post something, you're really asking other people, you are taking the attention from other people in that tribe. So you shouldn't be able to do that um, maliciously for free. That's the problem with every group I've ever seen, Telegram, um, you know, every platform out there has the spam problem where mm -hmm. fake accounts come in and just behave badly. In this case, it costs you to do that. So it's possible to do that, but you're going to pay. And you're not going to pay with some coin that someone made up. You're actually paying in real Satoshis. You are spending Bitcoin. Um, and so you that is not going to last long because you can't make more, right? This is the whole thing of the physics of this thing. It's like, oh, there's just no way to behave badly in perpetuity. You can't say that for email. You can't say that for YouTube comments. You can't say that for any other system out there because there's the no value built into the protocol. Yeah, It's like the ultimate disincentive. <laughs> you just gave up sound money to be a jerk over and over again. <laughs> uh, you know, you're going to run out. Like you're going to run out. And, and the admin can say, hey, uh, I'm going to kick you out. You got to pay to rejoin. I mean, there's just a consequence to everything. So as Bitcoiners, um, having consequences for action seems to be a theme. And I, I feel like this fits in line with that. And so the last piece is really, um, so that those are the things you can do. You can talk, you can join tribes. But then within tribes, um, we have bots and tribes, so you can say type BTC space price and get the latest Bitcoin price. Um, we have a, a bot around um, looping out. So Lightning Labs has a product where if you have sats in your Lightning channel that you want to move to an on-chain address to layer one, let's say that after a month of um, people streaming sats to you on your podcast, your channel's full, you've earned so much that you need to actually move it from your checking account to your savings account. You can use a bot to loop out and transfer those sats to your on-chain address. Cool. Um, We've hooked them up to, we use it internally for GitHub. So we actually, when you have a GitHub release, it posts into our developer tribe. Um, and we use it for authentication. So if you have syncs, everyone's, um, everyone likes this idea of passwordless authentication. So you're not remembering passwords. You're actually signing a message with a private key. So you can go to a website now 
And if they're running our auth library, then the library can say, hey, do you want to authorize with Sphinx? And then you see in Sphinx, hey, do you, do you want to sign into the site? You don't have to type in any passwords. You just hit confirm and you're now logged into the site. So it flips. It really flips this whole security model on its head where instead of you storing email credentials on a website, you're just using the private key that you already use to do lightning and all this stuff on your phone to encrypt your content. And you're just choosing to use that key that never leaves your phone to log into the website. So again, I'm not giving my email address again. I'm not trying to remember a password. Um, every time you log into a website with your email, you're basically saying the security uh, for me to enter, for the security of whatever I'm doing on this website, I'm relinquishing to my email service provider because if your email is compromised, then everything that you have access to is compromised. So yeah. this tightens that circle up a little bit more and keeps it to the private key on your phone. I wonder how difficult or when the, the kind of exodus will occur, right? Like all these services that we now use that, that, that harvest our information and all this kind of stuff, when the options are available to do things differently, how, how are we going to do that? How are we going to pull back, you know, because they're so integrated into our lives, you know, it's going to be a bit of a disruptive transition, but I think that the, the value prop will be so strong that a lot of people will make it, but yeah, it'll be, I have a guess if you want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, I, want to hear it. I, I think <laughs> it will, it will be, it will be the, the um, 17 year old in Bangladesh. Right. It'll right. be, it won't be with us. Like it won't be anyone you know, that we were walking around looking at right now. Um, and that, that individual has a totally different set of needs. And this is a hundred X better than whatever other option they have. Whereas us, we're like, ah, I've got, I've got my password manager. We it's have too late for you. <laughs> half ass solutions for everything. We have, we have half ass solutions for everything. Right. So trying to go get someone who's used to this pattern and they've just ingrained it is I think a fool's errand. I mean, if those people want to opt into this, that is fantastic. Right. But this will be, um, this will be driven by people that you never hear from today, right? They're not even online probably. Yeah. And I picked that age because I, I, I want people, the value is in the young person, right? If you were to be very, um, you know, uh, just- Corporate-minded about- uh, Machiave Yeah, Machiavellian, you would say, do I want a 70-year-old to adopt something or do I want a 17-year-old to adopt something? Right. Um, and, I, and I feel like that's where it's gonna come from. They'll be open to trying things. They don't have good alternatives and they'll want to do it. And so, um, yeah, so what Sphinx does is the chat, the assembly, the earning, that's huge on all those fronts. Um, we do all of the authentication options are out there, links to third parties, uh, everything's available. And you can, you could start an e-commerce business on Sphinx right now. So you have the ability to have your customers in a tribe. There's your social marketing. You have a payment system built into everything you do. If someone wants to tip for support from your customer service rep, that's fine. Your customers could be your customer service reps. Um, you can link a web page to a tribe. So there's your catalog for your product. Um, and so 
it, it, it's an overused word, but tribes, I mean, our, an advisor to our company named Jim, he, he talks about this is tribes are really a DAO in a weird way. It is a completely decentralized organization because it has this payment capability. It makes it more interesting. Yeah. So um, it's not just discord where you're just shit posting all day and sending emojis around um, this thing. It's actually firing live ammo. You are moving sats around the world and you're actually, yeah. um, you know, aggregating economic power. It's incredible. One, one thing I haven't used it yet, but can you, can you fire up a, like a video call on Sphinx? And I believe you use mm -hmm. Jitsi if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's right. Um, so let's say I'm a, I'm a Spanish teacher. I have a tribe on Sphinx. I fire up a Jitsi call and P and just as with uh, listening to podcasts, what would I determine how much I stream sats per minute of the video call and have boost capabilities and all that kind of stuff too. Is that how that works? Right now we just have the boost capability. We haven't built, built in the per minute streaming into Jitsi yet, but you can see how that be fairly straightforward to do for us. Um, but we're actually looking for a Jitsi engineer if anyone's out there, because we're running kind of a vanilla version of Jitsi right now. And um, you can turn Jitsi into clubhouse without the surveillance on there. And, and we're excited about that. We just need to get someone on the team who has the bandwidth and knowledge to do that because we just install it and run it. Um, but yeah, if you think about it, um, you don't need Zoom. You don't need Google Meet you can do it on open source Jitsi and you could say, um, yeah, you could have a, a less, a language lesson. You could have uh, homeschooling taking place. You could have uh, concerts. You could have Twitch programming. We really want to do that. I bring up Replit a lot. I think the CEO of Replit, which is an online buddy coding system. So you can go online and you can actually learn to code from someone else by coding collaboratively, which I think is a really cool model. And from what I understand, he's, he's very curious about lightning. So I'd love to see Replit shout out to those guys to try to do something around lightning, where if we have a coder who's stuck on something, your now is to go to Google and Stack Overflow and look through 50 answers that have nothing to do with your particular problem, but it's on you to search through and find that. How cool would it be to just raise your hand and to have an expert coder coming in at 5,000 sats every five minutes who's going to look at your code as you're typing it and go, yeah, you're missing a semicolon there, whatever it might be, right? I mean, that is an awesome. And no NDAs. No, hey, can you get on my GitHub repo and can you invite me and all that crap? It's just, no, jump into my tribe, um, hop into this call. I'll tip you whatever you need to help me solve this problem, but you just saved two hours of my life, right? I mean, that is an awesome benefit. Yeah, There's nothing I mean, to stop that from happening right now. Right. I mean, th think about how big the digital economy is at this point. I mean, it, it's obviously enormous. And what this is providing is that digital economy with no gatekeepers, no rent seekers, no intermediaries. I mean, okay. So here, here's the That's question it. that follows from that. And, and no, and no bread trail of leaving your personal info with everyone. Sovereignty. You've ever yeah. With. Yeah. Total. Sovereignty. Yeah. And this is like, these are molecules. It'll all be atoms bouncing off of each other more and more. And that's going to create more interesting outcomes, right? Instead of us and our little silos hiding my email address from you, because I don't know who you are. It's just like guarded mentality. Yeah, totally. Right. This is more the mindset of abundance and just talk, talk to me, you know, go ahead. Yeah. So 
G- given that, given all these possible, sorry, go ahead. I lost you there for a second. Go ahead. Uh, I think we had a lag for a sec. Given all these possibilities, two, you know, how is Sphinx funded to actually do this work? Uh, or sorry, one, how is Sphinx funded? And two, how do you prioritize what to work on? Because like you're really contending with a universe of possibility now in this this new reality. So how do you, you know, how do you decide what to implement first? Yeah. So Stackwork itself is a for-profit US funded startup, right? So think of that as your typical Silicon Valley startup. That's what Stackwork does. Um, We built Sphinx as a tool that we needed for Stackwork, but um, it obviously can do so much more. That's our complete open source. Go to our GitHub slash Stackwork and you'll see all the repos there. Um, And that's all under MIT license. Um, Take it, use it, clone it, contribute to it, ideally. And so this just needs to exist. And so, yeah, that's why we're making it. And we spend probably more than is prudent of our our money on it. But um, yeah, someone's got to start it and someone's got to do it. Uh, And the idea had been around for several years and no one seemed to be doing it. So we're not experts on this. We make no claims about being great at any of these things. It's just, um, we have a certain set of knowledge about how to get it started. And if it's successful, people will build on it and fork it and do all kinds of crazy creative things. So that's how, that's how it works. Now I think that Sphinx could be the foundation for billion dollar tribe. Someone will down the road, create, some tribe that has an economic impact of billions of dollars or hundreds of Bitcoin, however we want to um, denominate it. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that that will, will happen. Um, and that will be pretty cool to see all of the ways people use it. And so that gets to the prioritization question is just, um, we have to build the primitives. We're not trying to make it easy right now for people because it isn't, um, it isn't simple yet, right? So the worst would be to tell everybody it's so simple, just jump on and do it and false advertise and hype it like that. And then you get into the reality of how these things work and it isn't simple yet. It isn't just for everyone at this point. And we're not trying to represent it that way. Um, but what we're doing is doing the work to make it 1% easier every day. And then there'll be a couple more people every day who are willing to jump through the hoops and try this thing out and use it. And then before you know it, it will reach that inflection point where it actually is easy enough for people to use. Right, right. A couple more for you, Paul. One is just, you know, we talk about uh, sovereignty and how being in complete control and this, you know, bleeding into ever more aspects of our lives and how that's a good thing, right? Maintaining your privacy, maintaining your sovereignty. But in a case where like, let's say you're on Apple's app store, right? And so if Sphinx ever run, ran afoul of them, is that the only real choke point uh, in this whole mix? Funny you should mention that. <laughs> All of our updates are getting blocked right now by Apple. So um, we uh have fallen afoul of them um they want 30 percent of everything we stream to you of the sats yeah 
Wow. Is that, is that their standard deal for people that, tra- that have apps that transact uh, in money? Uh, it, it's a little unclear because our argument is that we are not processing these payments. This is an individual paying another individual per minute, mm-hmm. right? We're not yeah. Visa processing the payment and taking two and a half percent and trying to take that away from Apple. This is a node, your node, paying another node. And you're viewing it in the app, but the transaction is actually taking place between two nodes. Mm-hmm. So think of the app like a remote control to a television set. But the remote control is not going to do anything without the TV, right? And so Apple's argument, as far as we understand it, um, is that by enabling this in the app, we owe them 30%. Right. And so um, the question is how to deal with that, right? I mean, do you uh, go along with it? Do you fight it? Um, and this raises us to the thing that as a company, we're committing to really right now, and that's to um, either us or someone to make their own phone. I think it's time for a third phone. And, and I know many people have tried this. Um, you know, I have interesting background with this side of things, but I, I believe the time's right for yeah. a third option. Well, I was, so, was going to say that like, it seems like the only solution in this whole sovereign stack, or, or let's say the vulnerability is the sovereign hardware, which doesn't really it exists in certain capacities, but most people's phones are you know, an Android or an iPhone, right? And so yep. if you have that piece, then you've really got the sovereignty. Now we can get into like satellites that are beaming things that circumventing ISPs and that kind of stuff, which is all obviously coming, but uh, it yep. seems like the hardware is the choke point right now. Well, if you were to design a phone today, and this is a conversation we talked about a lot now for the past year, because you know this is coming, right? There's no way that the existing app stores and companies want to see a parallel payment system. I mean, who would, I wouldn't want that if I were them. And I'm I'm kind of in the mindset with Apple is like, Hey, you've done an amazing job building this thing. Like they, I buy their products. I've got it in my ear right now. Right. I'm talking to you on a Mac. So I'm not going to ever criticize a business for being able to run the way that they want to run. I want to make sure that I understand the rules. So I'm not wasting our developers time trying to guess what the rule is. I would say that's my main complaint is there's uh, a lack of clarity around what is compliance. Um, But um, I think it's just great. Okay. If that's the rules of the game, then certain individuals will want to move to a different game. Uh, And it's no longer difficult technically to build a piece of glass with a CPU and a radio antenna. I mean, that is not not get like an Android phone and put, uh, there's some uh, operating systems that you can. Calyx or graphene. Yeah. Graphene and stuff like that. Could that not work? Yeah. The pieces are out there. Um, but it won't be, again, we're not going to try to convince, uh, someone with a Mac and iTunes and, you know, AirPods to switch over to some random privacy phone. Like that's what people tried. Right. But if you have that 17 year old example, I I gave you, this person does not have $120 for an Android phone. Mm -hmm. So what if you could get a phone from Stackwork that, lets you work for 10 or 15 minutes a day 
that pays off the phone in six weeks. So we make an investment in this person and that person does tasks per day, no cash involved and can earn the phone. And then that phone happens to have be free of the of the surveillance capitalism that comes on every phone in the country in the world today right so you sneak in the privacy phone not by selling someone hey leave your iphone behind and go to this pain in the ass os that doesn't run uber and doesn't have anything you're familiar with that's a that's a really tough sell right. i mean i would not want to be involved in that you would need of, you would need both uh, you need to be carrying two yeah. phones right yeah I, it'd be crazy right i mean people are willing to do it and i and uh, hats off but that would be very hard to do on a, on a, on a volume level. But I don't have a phone. I don't have Uber in my town anyway, right? I um, the most important thing that this phone does is let me earn and access the internet. So if you have stack work for earning, you have things for communication, social media, and it's your bank because it's your Lightning wallet, then you are a full stack digital citizen on a phone that is modified to not have surveillance capitalism in it. And if we're providing the SIM card, there's no receipt at the store. There's no um, account in your name at the telecom. There's no bank with your identity. You've never bought Bitcoin on chain because we opened the channel to your node. You're off the grid person. And so in the beginning, we'll, the stack phone be our own custom hardware? Probably not, but we're starting the process right now of optimizing the hardware exactly for this. So you would have an air gap signing device. You would probably turn down the importance of having the LTE side and optimize for Wi-Fi, long distance Wi-Fi. Cause like you were saying, Starlink and the satellite systems are coming out. Um, it will be much more like a Wi-Fi world than uh, how many times do you get phone calls nowadays? I never get phone calls, right? You're, you're going to be doing things with data yeah. and, and not over a phone. Uh, a phone, it'll look more like what we think of an iPod than a, than a phone. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we need a different way. Um, and it won't be for people who, are, who have an iPhone today. They're not going to switch. It's going to be for people that no one's even trying to get them to buy anything. Um, it's going to be for a totally off the grid, um, type of person that's not on the radar right now, but that's the innovators dilemma, right? I don't know if you've heard of that from the tech side, but it's the market that no one cares about and they laugh about that gets you right. It's just, eh, who cares? Take that yeah. person who's a dirt farmer and I, they're not buying my movies anyway. So what do I really care? Um, well, I think that could be a lot of interesting people to bring into the mix. And yeah. so, um, yeah, so phone, uh, phone, you don't pay for, um, that's a pretty, uh, I think a worthwhile thing to work towards. And 100%. so whatever Apple, whatever Apple decides to do is up to Apple. Um, but for us to grow, it really, it, Apple's very nice to have. I, I have an Apple, you, you, I think you have one. So I, I'm, I, I'm not wanting to not be there, but it's not critical to where we want to go. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, last one for you, Paul. You know, I sure when people understand Bitcoin, even let's just say base layer Bitcoin, it change. We discussed a little bit earlier. It changes how they see the world. It changes how they see the future. It often instills yep. them with hope about how things could be improved. You know, those problems that we didn't see solutions for prior, now we see solutions for. You know, the the 
the uh, trope, fix the money, fix the world. You know, there's a lot of uh, truth to that. And then you layer on, pun intended, uh, layer two solutions like lightning, and you see all the possibilities that that represents for improving the world and for, you know, new opportunities and for extending sovereignty and privacy and freedom to more people all over the world, even the, you know, the heretofore underserved uh, people everywhere. And many of us feel, you know, a tremendous boost of enthusiasm and excitement and hope and energy. And that obviously manifests in our day-to-day -day lives, in our work lives, et cetera. You know, you said you came into Bitcoin through lightning, but, you know, by the sounds of it, you went down the layer one rabbit hole as well. And you kind of get it all or, you know, continue to want to understand it more and more every day. How has all of this, this journey, and in particular, the work that you're now doing, how has it changed you, you know, in terms of your energy, enthusiasm, excitement, plans and hopes for the future? Like, how, how have you changed personally? Yeah, I mean... For me, I was halfway through money, questioning money, right? Is the, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people in this space start with Bitcoin shocked them, right? It made you question something that's is like the water, that the whole, what is water? You're, you're not even aware that it's even questionable, right? right. Um, and so I had started out with food actually and, and um, going against the, the dietary regime that's pre out there so i had started with that one and which had me more pissed off and more just furious about what was happening to humans through food um and i'm probably still more mad about that than the money actually um because i think that uh it, there it's actually a higher priority problem i think that if you haven't fixed your health then you probably should work on that first before um focusing on anything else like you just that just seems like a basic choice, like take care of that first. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence so, that that becomes a priority for Bitcoiners too. You know, once you, once you see how all these things are being influenced and you make changes across the board. Uh -huh. And I, I thought it was so strange that there was the carnivore keto thing in Bitcoin, because that's what I had done prior to Bitcoin. I thought, oh, this is really weird that this is happening here. And then of course we homeschool our kids. So we'd already done that prior Bitcoin, um, which, uh, you know, that's being a weirdo right there. Um, yeah. And being remote work from day one. So for me, it's energized me to take a bigger bet. So I was around, I started my first software company in 95. So uh, 1995. So, uh, and I, feel like I recognize some patterns early on that I didn't have the confidence at that time to really move on. And so despite being there early for the internet, I knew certain things, but I was so naive. I didn't say, wow, could I really do that? Someone else is going to do that. Uh, the big company is going to do it. Uh, IBM at that time, right? Oracle or whoever these guys were, Sun Microsystems actually at that time. So now it's just the, uh, why not us? Like, why not, why not make Sphinx chat? Like I tried to convince people for a while that someone should make Sphinx, like write a messaging app on lightning. It's, it's made for it. And, and there was zero interest in anything. So it's like, Hey, why don't we just do it ourselves? Why not make your own phone? Why don't you make, why don't you distribute tasks around the world? Um, we're building the company in a non-standard way. We have zero employees. We're all contractors. So 
that's not looked upon kindly by investors and, uh, you know, advisors and things because you've gone off the rails. You're like, don't you have enough to kind of worry about with all this new stuff that's going on to then look at corporate structure? But I really do feel like it's uh, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? So it's if you break your pattern or then you have to have so much mental energy to go, oh, what thought process did I apply to that problem? Well, it's different from the one I did to that one. It's just much easier for me, at least, to just say, all right, well, this is the approach. We're only going to do things that make sense today, not because they were done yesterday, because in this new world, this new physics that we have, do we really think that a C corporation is going to be the structure for all of this change, the phone company, the work, hyper-Bitcoinization? I, I just, I'm not convinced that that's the, the, um, the spaceship that's going to get us to that world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw just a little while ago, and this will be dated maybe when this comes out, but um, that uh, Shapeshift went and is decentralizing the whole corporation. So they're actually going back and deconstructing all of the contracts. I'm sure I can just picture the nightmare that's involved of deciding to take an established company and then unwind it and turn it into some DAO with a token. Not that I want to do that, but that's kind of an example of um, people recognizing that this thing that we're familiar with is not necessarily the right thing. We don't need a, a faster horse, right? We need a, an entirely new vehicle to, to operate in. And I think that will look something like collective action, right? And I think the Dow word is a little bit loaded, yeah. But it will look more like that than a hierarchy with someone telling other people what to do. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even with something like Sphinx, you, you mentioned raising money and stuff like that. I mean, what if you raise money from a bunch of anonymous lightning addresses and they were all in a, a certain contract so that whatever you know money you brought in, it got distributed in a certain way? I mean, I know we're not there yet, but it's an easy it's not a it's not a huge leap to see how that will manifest where people can be investors in companies and not have it associated with their name and have everything kind of handled abstractly in the background. And that's why I pay very close attention to things like liquid and RGB, those protocols. I feel like those are the building blocks that are coming down the pipe that I don't think many people are paying attention to. I think most people don't even have a real understanding of what it is. I mean, I barely get, I, I don't want to call myself understanding RGB. I just follow and read and know there's something there to watch. Um, but liquid is easier to get wrap your mind around, but there are, there's real value to these tools out there to look at. And it's not, uh, you know, trying to pre-mine some token and ICO. That was kind of the worst version of these new instruments out there. But yeah, we're going to see all of that. Like there's going to be a version in Bitcoin or in Lightning or an RGB of liquid of all the things plus that we see in this existing world. So we try to keep an open mind to all that stuff um, while just building on Lightning right now. So, yeah. man, there's so much going on. It's uh, it's getting to the point now where it's pretty much impossible to keep track and, and keep up to date on everything. But for those people that want to keep up to date on the work that you guys are doing, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, follow. Uh, well, we're not good at this. If you if you we don't tweet <laughs> really, so we've had many people say, "Is your project dead?" Because there's no uh, Twitter no account. Twitter. One of our one of our board members was tweeting on, on behalf of our account, and that was it. Like I've I've never really posted anything myself. 
off. So we'll get better about that. But if you go to sphinx.chat, the homepage, we're about to launch a new website. And if you go to stackwork.com, that's where you can learn more about Stackwork. And we promise we will do more talking on Twitter at some point, but we really feel like we're not doing anyone a service by trying to promote usage of the of the system just yet because it needs to be easier for most people and the people who really want it will find it so right. we don't want to uh hype something there's enough of that in the world right now we'd rather build it have people break it who are willing to break it we'll fix it as best we can and we'll, it'll get to the broader people when when we're both ready for it yeah well man thank you for the work you're doing it's incredibly exciting. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. And uh, I look forward to catching up again in the future and hearing all the updates. Well, thanks for the conversation, John. This is awesome. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Thanks. This discussion with Paul has my mind racing with the possibilities of the Lightning Network, and I hope it's opened your eyes to new possibilities as well. Much gratitude to what Paul and the team at Sphinx are doing to accelerate our movement into a more sovereign, innovative, and abundant future. If you'd like to learn more about Paul's work, visit stackwork.com and sphinx.chat. And connect with Paul and I on Twitter at Paul Etoy, P-A-U-L-I-T-O-I, and at John K. Vallis, J-O-H-N-K-V-A-L-L-I-S. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.